Here we go. folks, this is your host Cameron Ivey of Privacy Please, and thank you so much for tuning in each and every week. If this is your first time, welcome to the show. Tell your friends about it if you like it. If you don't, let's just pretend you didn't listen to it. Thanks again for coming in, and we hope you enjoy the show. Alrighty then, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Privacy Please. I am Cameron Ivey here with my good friend and co-host, Gabriel Gums. Gabe, how you doing, man? Well, all righty then. I'm doing all right. How am I? <laughs> there it is. There it is. Um, <laughs> this is a special episode of Unplugged. Privacy, please unplug for you guys. So super excited to talk a little bit about <clears throat> pretty hot topic um, that actually we'll throw a little, uh, a little credit over to Proofpoint. Um, to this article, but uh, this this is pretty fascinating, Gabe. You you brought this up. Let's dive a little bit into this. Uh, looks like they, yeah. I'll let you go ahead and and kick things off for us. So, episode two of Unplugged. I figured I figured we'd um we'd pull from something in the in, in the cyberspace that isn't necessarily. It doesn't require that same kind of a structured conversation. Like, we're not going to talk about anything today. I think that is going to be earth shaking in terms of like, oh, no, look, never heard of that. Didn't, couldn't think of that. Um, the purpose of our unplugged <laughs> conversation is let's just let's just chat about the things. And this is one of those good things, I think, to just like, let's explore the edges of it. So what is it? Proof point a few weeks back, and I, I threw it out on LinkedIn. So those of you that follow the show and, and maybe follow me on LinkedIn might, might have saw it. Uh, and if you don't follow you him should. now, please yeah, yeah. start following him. Yeah, yeah. Now is the it's, time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Now is the time. The best time was 123 episodes ago. But now, now is right. the second best time. This is the second we'll best time. We'll let it slide. Yeah. Well, we're and we know it. who you are once you start coming onto his feed and uh, you know exactly. seeing those. We know exactly. <laughs> yeah, we are aware of your existence as a person anyway. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what happened with Proofpoint? Well, they had released, uh, they, they put a blog post out there um, regarding um, some of the dangers in in being able to ransom data inside of O365, uh, mm-hmm, specifically mm-hmm. around um, Specifically around the the uh, Office three sixty five uh, uh, data SharePoint suite, right? OneDrive SharePoint is OneDrive yeah, yeah yeah right like all that all that good stuff um, so what was the problem what did they find well they found in four very easy steps and find is maybe find is the wrong word um, maybe put a big spotlight on because I know you and I have talked about this with customers in the past how we talk a lot to customers about how their O three sixty five environment I'm oversimplify and um, and just get out of way. How O365 isn't necessarily what everyone thinks it might be. And and it's not right. for a good reason, I think, right? Like, what is Microsoft? Again, let's oversimplify. They're a technology company. What is O365? It's a cloud productivity platform. But then what is Azure, Gabe? Well, that's that's a cloud service provider. That's infrastructure as a service and, and that's platforms as a service, right? Like that's that's what those things are. Right. Like it's not it's not software as a service the way the productivity tools are. It's like cool, Gabe. So then what's so then what's Microsoft 
security stack look like against those things, right? Like, well, Microsoft has an entire different stack of security products that have different product lines, right? Microsoft happens to be the world's largest security company as we see there right now. O365 happens to be the productivity, the cloud productivity solution with the largest market share. The combination of those two things tends to put a big red mark on your back. I don't think Microsoft's worried about having marks on their back. They've had them on their backs forever. But why is this important? Right. Why, why, why are we even talking about this today? I think because a lot of folks genuinely still conflate and blur the lines between all of those things. O365, Azure, the, the, the security tools that go along with securing and protecting either or both of those environments because they're not all the same either. And so Proofpoint's uh, blog article um, revolved around how easy it would be for an attacker to ransom all of the sensitive data inside of your O365 environment. It's not terribly difficult, right? Like change the number of versions that user can get to. Oh, let me back. Steal some creds. That's step one to almost everything. Step one, almost everything. Okay. Right? Like you need some credits. Those aren't that hard to get, though. Um, there's phishing sites as a service. Like you can, you can use those. There's, mm-hmm. there's just good old fashioned password spraying because people love to reuse passwords, right? Like that's always good. Um, there's get inside some other way and then move laterally, right? Like there's lots of ways. But so now, boom! Now I'm now I'm now I'm in. I'm in. I'm I, I'm sitting. I'm sitting inside of someone's O365 environment, and I am that one user. I can start changing all the data I have access to and changing the versioning on it. One version. Change it from the default all the way down to one. Or maybe your company increased it up to three, so you always have three old versions. Change it to one. Now encrypt it. Then encrypt it again. You're now on the second version. You have no more versions left. Your data is now gone, and it's still being ransomed in very much the same way. Did you even know that data was there? Did you know it was even sensitive to begin with? You probably figured, oh, shit, there's some sensitive stuff in there. You're probably right. It, it is in there. Um, I've seen some organizations do the following of, as of late. They got hit by ransomware and they're like, oh, it sucks. You know what? We, can, we, can we go into SharePoint and pull it all back? Like, what did we store in SharePoint? Maybe we shared it there. Maybe I dropped it in the teams. Like, okay, that's, that's awesome. The problem is the attackers are wise to this because it's not, it's, it's not rocket surgery. Like, oh, you kept two copies, duly noted. I will encrypt two copies. It's like, if you go and read the blog, let's see if we can pull it up. We, we got to, we definitely have to get to. to posting it looks like link. there's like a four step process or whatever. There's, actions. there's four steps. So let's go through them. Let's right. go through them discreetly for the user, right? So step one, initial access. We talked about that, right? Like get <clears> cred <throat> somehow, get inside because attackers don't break in. They log in. Um, that's someone else's catchphrase, but I happen to freaking like it because it's so accurate there, right? Like <laughs> it's not untrue that attackers break in, but I think most people don't think about what breaking in means, right? Like you might have a service running, like say a, an email server and that email server mm-hmm. is unpatched. And so I find a vulnerability that allows me to execute malicious code on that server. That's mm-hmm. one way of breaking it. Most attacks do not occur via break-in. Most attacks Does that happen- differ from hijacking? I think it's somewhere in between because you might you might hijack someone's service in a number of their ways. You can break in there to hijack it, or option two is you can steal creds and hijack. Um, but then there's also like you can just hijack it in the sense that I'm making it unavailable to someone else. Maybe 
maybe that's not a good description of hijacking, but my brain works that way, right? Like a DDoS attack yeah. is a form of hijacking, in my opinion. If you if you you have made it such that I do not control that resource and you are controlling access to the resource, even if that access you're controlling is just like being able to get to it. And now I can't right. get to it because there's a DDoS going on. It's, it is the same thing. Like use whatever language you want, but that's, that's the same thing as removing okay. control from you and giving it to me. Um, okay. So we're in the account takeover and discovery. Account takeover and discovery. You, you know, this part of it. So now I've got, right. I've got access to, to all the data that this user has. The challenge right. tends to be is users tend to have access to a whole lot of data, don't they? They tend to have access to more data than they need more often than not. So step number right. two now for the attacker actually actually gets difficult. He's got to go do the thing that you do. He's got to go find the sensitive data. But for the most part, that's not terribly difficult for the attacker at this stage because they're in. They're just gonna they're just gonna go get all the things. So step three, they're just gonna reduce the versioning numbers, right? Like they're gonna reduce it as low as possible, just to one. Keep it as easy as possible to encrypt the file more times than the versioning limit. That's all. Maybe you don't make okay. any changes because you, you know that they're monitoring versioning limit and they'll do something about it. But they've got versioning limit set to three. So how many times do you encrypt? So I got a question for you when it comes to, I don't know if this is, well, let's just ask it. So if someone does hijack your, your device, they're inside, they're, they're inside your account. How do they get inside pad? Like, <sighs> The attack is coming. Are we talking about their actual? Are we talking about the actual machine itself? Are we talking about everything within the machine, bypassing all passwords and everything like that? They're able to get into your OneDrive and all that things. How how are they able to get into your OneDrive and your? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So back to step one: initial access. Initial access is going to require some type of account compromise. Um, You you need to to compromise an account of some sort. So you might fish and get that account. You might just guess passwords until you guess the right password. Um, you know, go down the list of all the employees and go down a whole bunch of, of password lists. That's also not terribly hard. Like all of that is automated these days, right? Like if you think attackers right. are going through the whole dictionary, like, right, that's not happening. That's bananas. So initial access is going to be zero 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 one. Nope. Zero 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 one two. Password zero one. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that initial access is is largely going to be from I stole, I stole something and got it. Um, the thing about attacks in general are they are all multi-phased, they're all multi-staged, mm-hmm. and there's no one point at which you can just say, ah, okay, right, like problem here. You can always find ground zero for the attack. Well, maybe not always, but you can you can always find ground zero for the attack. Like ah, they got him because they because. Derek used a weak password and someone guessed it. It's not really Derek's fault though. We shouldn't have let Derek use a weak password, but that's a different unplugged episode. Right? Like yes. you can't be putting the, the onus on the users to have not used the right password. Right? Like it's not their fault. You've got 90 systems that all require different passwords to get into. Mm-hmm. And you're going to say, well, I've got SSO. It's like, great. Then you definitely should have made sure that they didn't, that they didn't have weak passwords, right? Like that, that, mm-hmm. that still sounds like not the end user's fault. So the answer okay. to your original question is you got to get access. Breaking in the way I described earlier, like smashing the stack of one computer is a different form of access once you're in the way in. But yeah, that works too. But basically okay. you want to get in somehow. Once you are in, 
you will have some form of credentialed access at your disposal at this point once you're in. Okay. I just wanted to clarify for the, the yeah. listeners. Yeah. 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 <laughs> no, but okay. So, so we're, we're talking, we're, we're have access. Uh, let's, let's use their example of SharePoint, OneDrive, whatever. Now we're, you know, going into step three with collection and exfiltration, which is actually funny because the last episode I did was on exfiltration. If you guys were paying attention, mm-hmm. not you, Gabe, but the, the, uh, I assume you listeners. So, so what goes on in this, in this process? It's a similar process to a discovery and classification process. Similar, mm-hmm. so similar that attackers have actually developed some of their own rudimentary tools for being able to find sensitive data. But, you know, they're not doing anything terribly sophisticated, right? Like they're looking for things that look like it might have sensitive data. But by and large, this type of attack is still going to be mostly smash and grab, right? They're just going to mm-hmm. they're going to get their hands on as much data as they can. They're going to go find all of the data and then they're going to um, go encrypt it. So the the collection part of it is let me go find inside of my office 365 SharePoint environment. Where is their data? Data right. in these folders, data in those folders, data, data that I, the user, have access to. What other data do I have access to? Oh, look, Cameron shared an entire folder with me. I want to go to that one too, right? Like go find all of the data. That's, that's the, the, the next step. Um, and then exfiltrate it. In some cases, exfiltration is necessary and even desired so that they can double ransom you, right? Like they can, they can force you to pay the ransom or even force you to pay it a second time. Um, that's difficult for a lot of attackers also, but that's a whole different conversation, right? which is to say exfiltrating data, although easy, gets exponentially harder based on how much. Hmm. Um, but again, as an attacker that's looking to ransom things, I don't necessarily need to exfiltrate it out unless I want to double ransom you. I only need you to not have access. That's all I need. I just need you to not have access. Interesting. And then, and then from there we go to monetization for that last step. This is where ransomware has evolved over the last several years. It used to be that you would just get an infection and the infection would try and spread fast and ransom as many things as it could in that time. So it would hit my machine, then start encrypting. Then it would hit yours and start encrypting. Then hit the guy next to you and start encrypting. Hit the ladies next to you and start encrypting. The models have changed. Hit all the machines. Get a foothold in the environment. Find where all the data is. Go look in 0365, et cetera. Find out if 0365 is backed up anywhere else. Go hit that too. Then you spring the ransom note only once you've got the entire data state, because now what's the likelihood that you're going to blow me off and not pay pretty low. If Mm -hmm. I just start smashing and grabbing, think of it the same way, smash and grab. You run up to a jewelry store on the sidewalk and you smash it and you run, right? Like, and then you run to the guy next door and you smash it and you run. You're not going to get very far these days, right? Like you're going to, you're going to get four or five storefronts down and someone's going to, do something like they're going to talk you, right? Like they're going to shut you down. Our systems are going to pick up that ransom, but. Or there's cameras on every one of those corners. Cameras on every, every one of those. But yep. if I, but if I sneak into each of those stores in the middle of the night and then at 1201, I call all of them and say, Hey guys, I changed the safe to all the password to all of your safes. I didn't even remove the jewels. 
I change the password to every safe on the block. And I do that all at the same time because I've been in there for, for a week, just going safe to safe, safe to safe. Then on Monday morning, everyone comes in and they see that that's how ransomware works now. It doesn't work the yeah. way it used to where it's just like, oh, I'll smash and grab down the line. No. No, that's not to say that doesn't exist, but things like Ryuk and all of those other ransomware that's that that's out there today, um, that's just not their propagation method. And the answer to why it's not, it's because it's far more lucrative to do what I just described. Like, wait until you have everything in your control, and then, and then you launch that attack. And then you launch the payload. Mm-hmm. Then you let them know, ah, encryption's all here. Okay. Now, let me, I got a question, a serious question for you. All right. For, uh, for the guys from Home Alone, we already got the wet bandits, the sticky bandits. What would their name be if they were rolling like this um, and changing passwords and controlling that? What would their, what would their uh, go-to name be? They're silent bandits. That's kind of the thing, right? Silent bandits. You don't, okay. know, they, you don't know they're there until they tell you they're there. In fact, the last Verizon data breach investigation report that came out, and, and I know several others have similar data points, not only have dwell times of the attackers changed, how you find out that you've been breached has been changing. A significant mm-hmm. number of organizations are only finding out that they've been breached because the ransomware guys have told them, hey, it's time to pay. <laughs> Silent bandits. And the rule is to never pay, right? I don't know. I don't know. So first, I guess you'd have to ask the question, like, whose rule? I know there was some guidance from the FBI years ago that suggested maybe not to. But I think I've seen some guidance that kind of goes back and forth. The the best advice I could give for any one organization is the following. You have to do what's right for your business. And if what's Mm -hmm. right for your business is also what's right for your customers, which arguably it should be, then paying the ransom isn't always helpful. But not paying the ransom might equally not be helpful if they start leaking your user's data online. Yeah. So I don't have a good answer to do you pay or do you not pay? Not unless I knew what controls someone had in place. If I understood what they were working with, I could say, all right, there's a high likelihood that maybe, maybe you, you really shouldn't have to worry about paying anything here. But in some cases, it might be, you know, let's get you back online. Let's get your data recovered. And you should pay them because otherwise, you know, X, Y, Z. It's hard to say. They, they are not, they're not above or below negotiating either. So, you know, you can, mm. you can, like, if you already have things in place to get your data back, do that. And maybe because they're double ransom, maybe you do pay. I genuinely don't have any good advice other than all of the permutations I just described. Don't even begin to scratch the surface of your options. Um, but you, you, a thousand percent should be talking to your counsel about that. Um, when yeah. I ran an IR team, there was a contact that we had at our local FBI field office. You know, that's the kind of person that you'd, you'd, you'd imagine might be in contact, you'd be in contact with if this kind of thing happens. It's also very dependent upon your organization. Yeah. Okay. So uh, let's, let's continue this in terms of, you know, we've gone over the the attack chain, if uh, if I may, with that. What's next? What if we're an organization and we're going through this? What's how do we protect ourselves? Well, I, I think that what's next um, 
well, we got through the monetization part and we, we kind of alluded to the recovery part, but that's the what's next. The what's next is get your business recovery. running. Yeah, yeah, like after you gave them the money, they will hopefully give you the keys. Right. If you chose not to give them the money, well, shit, hopefully you have all of your data somewhere ready to be brought back live. Um, which again, problematic because the attackers, they, they know that you're going for your backups. They, they know that that has become the go-to strategy for recovering from a ransomware attack. They know that the likelihood of you paying the ransom decreases 100% if you have all the things backed up or even right. just the important things. So they're coming for those too. So the answer to your question, what next? What next is recovery? Recovery is next. And okay. again, for every organization, recovery is going to look different. Recovery is going to be directly tied to how well you did before you had an incident. And how well you do in between the next time you have an incident. Uh, your restore point objectives, RPOs, that is what point do you restore to? Do you only take backups once a day, once a week, once an hour? Your restore time objectives, how fast do you need to get those things back? Do you need to get them back within one day, one year, one week? Right? Like It's going to be dependent on your business. If you are a trading house and you have to close out positions by the end of the day, you might need to have those backups up and running by the end of the day. <laughs> I use that example because I've had this conversation with the trading house. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you, you might not. Like you, you might be okay with a restore time objective of three days and a restore point objective of one week, right? Like you only take that one week rolling snapshot. Like I, it is going to be largely dependent on, on your business. Does data change in your environment that often? All of your data probably doesn't have the same RTO and RPO either. But this goes back mm -hmm. to that sensitive data problem, right? Like, and we've, we've talked about this, like, till we're blue in the face. It's like, okay, what data do you have? Is it sensitive? I remember years ago, you were a little sorry, it's good. Here's a schema. Here's the schema of sensitivity. And on the schema, if it has this data type, then you should handle it this way. You know what's mm -hmm. still missing for most people's sensitive data schemas is recovery procedures associated with those data types. If it is customer PII, what's your RTO and what's your RPO? What is your restore time objective? What is your restore point objective? Because again, if that data is say, you know, the medical records to folks in the ICU, you might need to have that data like right now. If right. that data is say the, the alumni record transcripts for all of your students, you probably have some days, maybe even weeks. It's hard to say. But if you don't actually know that because you've classified the data based on the business process, I don't know if any of it matters. I don't know. I really don't know if any of it matters. Now, of course, you can and should just take some more blanketed approaches to some of that data, right? Like you shouldn't get that discrete with like employee data. Like all employee data needs to be freaking just ready to come back. Like that should just be a thing. If you happen to be in a hospital, but it's like all current patient data, like all of that rises to the top of my list, mm -hmm. right? Like that's the stuff I have to make sure I can recover from immediately. Where's that stuff? How do I recover from it? Because even inside the backups, it's the same question. Like if I'm sequencing what I'm bringing out of storage first, like think, think just traditional storage, like, you know, you've hired a moving company before. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe you've moved yourself. You would normally pack things in the back of the van that don't need to come out to last the things in the front that need to come out first, which means that when you're packing up the house, the things that you need to come out first go in last, right? 
last mm-hmm. in, first out, LIFO, first in, first out, right? Like what, what kind of sequencing are you going through in your recovery process? If we're talking about packing cars, I'm just trying to do a little Tetris back there. I'm just trying to make things nice. Big facts. Yeah. Big big facts. That's also what a lot of companies are doing. They're like, I'm just trying to get the data backed up, man. I'm just trying to, I got these five servers. I just want to get them. I just want to get a copy of that shit. It's like, no, no, I hear you. And now is that terabyte of data? Well, it's only wrong if it matters as to which data you need to have up and running and when. If the answer to your organization is, I just have to unload the whole car anyway, then it doesn't really matter. If the answer is also, I have enough room that I just fill the car up anyway, so I don't really care. I'll just, I'll figure it out when I unload it, then it doesn't matter. If the answer is, I have way more stuff than I have a car to put it into, then you're going to have to be selective about what you put in there and how. If the answer is, sure, I can afford a larger car, but I don't want to have to maintain a larger car when most of the shit that's going in there isn't really useful that I use every day. Right. Then again, we get back. I'm using a lot of analogies here for sensitive versus non-sensitive, right? Right. Then, then I only put that stuff in. So the answer to, does it matter? I don't know. I don't know. Is, does it matter? <laughs> I can tell you in my business, if it matters, I could tell you a hundred percent if it matters to me, I could, I could go through, you know, all of my customers and tell you for each of them, you know, which ones it matters for like, well, for these guys, this matters and that matters. It matters to him that this doesn't get ransomed and that this goes in first comes out last, right? That comes in first. Good. Like I can tell you that. So I know it does matter to some people. I know it matters to a lot of people. In this situation at organizations, if we have listeners that are, you know, from organizations that might be curious, who who's responsible for this? They should probably already know who that is, but who's responsible for knowing this and having this prepared? Per organization will slightly differ. Um, Scott sure. G, shout out to Scott G, shout out to Scott G. Scott, 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 G. Scott, G. Scott, Scott G, Scott G, I can't even talk, Scott G, Scott G. shout out. Scott G, <laughs> Scott G. Scott G. shout out. With us before, um, it'll differ based on the organization, but you might have a DPO, right? Like you might have a data protection officer, that mm-hmm. role might not be a discrete title. It may just fall to whoever CISO. is the CISO. Um, you know, if you, you get really discreet, you know, you're going to have data owners, someone who actually owns that data. So the person that owns all of the current employee data, you know, that's likely going to be your head of HR, right? Like your, your people person mm. own that data. Don't tell me that, Gabe. <laughs> you know how many sensitive files are on Excel folders and on their desktop I'm, and in HR, HR that I know of? Oh, I am, I am, I am, I'm glad that the, your organization is a virtual <laughs> one. Otherwise, yes, I'm aware. But, but you're right. Like, there's a lot of stuff. No, not, not, not my company. I'm just yeah. saying in general. Like, exactly. I'm saying, I'm saying stories that I've heard. Yes, they're yes. everywhere. They're yes, everywhere. yes, yes. Yeah. So, who owns it? Who's responsible for that? Ultimately, though, um, whoever owns the infrastructure that protects the data should have a large say and or even full ownership of the things we just talked about, the 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 RTO, RPO strategy. They can't do mm-hmm. that without collaboration from the data owners and the security team so that they know like, okay, what is inside of this moving box, right? Like think of the guy who manages the, the servers, the storage servers as like, he's the guy who runs the, the, uh, the U-Haul storage center. He's got the truck and he's got the building. You are the data owner. You own the house and the boxes inside of it. It's your job to tell that guy what you want on the truck first. 
you're the only one that's going to know best if you should have that data available to you one day or one week. Like he won't know that server A has all the alumni records versus server B. Maybe he does. Maybe he does because you've properly discovered it, classified it, and shared that information. But mm-hmm. it has to be that, that that is not a a one person owns it all kind of thing. That is a your data protection strategy is a joint strategy. Um, the recovery portions of it will be owned by the people who own the data infrastructure. But for example, the first step of what we talked about, the initial access, the person who owns keeping the credentials safe initially, that's going to fall to your, your CISO and your CIO, maybe, right? Like that's, that's who that's going to fall to. So there's some joint ownership across the entire data landscape. Um, the person who's usually responsible for doing things like the data discovery portion of it, usually the CIO and CISO. Um, versus, say, the CIO, who that's going to roll directly up to him and just skip right over the, the, the CISO in terms of, of making sure that data is, is, uh, is available. Um, I was ranting on, on LinkedIn the other day with, uh, with, with one of the Forrester analysts about you know, the fact that it feels like we've gotten away from having confidentiality, integrity, and availability as one of the core tenets of security. You've heard me bitch about this on this show before, but I don't know when CIA became a separate thing from data security. If your data is not available, you have lost the security you need to protect your business. I can, I can extrapolate on that a thousand ways based on the type of organization you are, but your infrastructure, your people and your data need to be kept confidential. The integrity mm-hmm. of them needs to be needs to be monitored and they need to be kept whole. And the availability of them also needs to be all, be, be there. Mm-hmm. Valid. Yeah. Old school. Yeah. I mean, and going back to your going back to your like moving day thing, I was just thinking, you can't just be like, hey, how you doing? Throw it in the back. Throw it in the box. Get on the truck. Get on the truck. We'll take hey, care of it when we get there. Look, to be fair, there are times when that is necessary. It's like, look, we just got to pack up this data center. We got to get out of this cloud provider. We just need to decommission this application. There are times when you just need to call two data guys. Ghostbusters? Oh, sorry. <laughs> two data guys. <laughs> two data guys. <laughs> you might have to call Ghostbusters to exercise some of that dark data, right? Like you might have to get some of that dark data. Out of yeah, are, that's what I'm saying. Analogies on the unplugged. They're just, oh, the chef's kiss. Oh. Chef's kisses. Yes. Um, that's what I'm here for, Gabe. <laughs> that's, it. that's it. But yeah, but there are times when just get it on the truck. We'll deal with it at the next destination is a valid, wholly valid strategy. And then there are times when it's, you need to have a manifesto of what's going on. It's like manifesto. Now I'm just going to call myself. <laughs> I'm one of those guys. Like when I move, I have like a whole manifest. like all the boxes are numbered and I have a manifesto that tells me what's in box one, box two, box three. And I know what rooms are like box one, two, four, that room, six, nine, eight. That like, I'm that guy. Uh, there's, you know, there's two different kinds of people in this world. There's, there's <laughs> this people who are organized. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then there's, uh, you know, the other people. <laughs> if you are a business, you can't afford to be the other people though. Arguably. Yeah. You can't today, afford. especially today, especially there are a lot of moving bands getting hijacked. These analogies, right? Like you can't afford to be those people. Yeah. yeah. Because it's just not a matter of bad luck. It's going to happen. It's when, heard. Yeah. It's all when it's all when it's all when. 
Just like the aliens. Wait. Conspiracies. Oh, yes, 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 yes. They're the uh, reason why why we have microwaves and uh, UV keys. UV keys were invented by aliens, also. It's, uh, seems seems uh, seems. Don't right. I don't count anything out. I don't That's either. all I'm going to say. Yeah, no, I definitely don't. I mean, I'm sitting here you talking know? to you across the screen. Like, I know how it works. Like, right? Like intellectually, I 100 percent know how it works. Like, I I took the engineering classes. I just I just still don't believe it. Yeah, <laughs> I don't care what anyone says. I believe there are shapeshifters, and those are aliens. I'm fairly certain I dated two. No, they're actually witches. <laughs> well, I married one of those, but she's a good witch. <laughs> good witch. <laughs> well, it's good. Halloween's coming right around the corner. It's her All favorite right. holidays. Her absolute favorite holiday. <laughs> Halloween is one of my favorites. Fall. I mean, if you're not excited about fall, people, you need to get Ooh, out of here. You need to get the fact. hell out. That's a fact. So the only thing I miss if about you don't like fall. We don't live somewhere where I can see the leaves right. changing right now. The leaves change. Yeah, your... I'd love to see some leaves change. Well, you're in you were in the city though, weren't you? Could you actually see all that there? Um, the answer is some of it. <laughs> it's a good question okay. because, like, in the city, city, <laughs> like you don't get a lot of it. But you know, from Manhattan, you could easily pop out to Long Island, Connecticut, Jersey. So I, I did, I'd make sure I took in some leaf changing. But uh, pop over to Fifty Fourth West and. Uh, 34th Street. 34th Street, yeah. Go downtown, grab a pot. That's right. <laughs> get yourself a knish. Grab a pie. Grab a pie. Get a knish. knish. A dog. Yeah. Give me some gnocchi. That's is it, it nochi? Noki? Right. What is it? Be careful because I'm eating it while I'm walking over here. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's my favorite. I'm walking here. Yeah, don't bump into me while I'm eating my knish. I'm walking over here. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I we, we, we just went on. Um, this is unplugged. It is unplugged. You're welcome. It is on plug. It is on plug. And that, and that vein, we're Italians today. I think, yeah, I think, I think we'll keep it relatively short for the listeners on the unplugged. Um, we'll save some juice for yeah. the next time. So let's wrap it up with what what we were just talking about because I know yeah. we went on a tangent here, but um, you know, aliens so what do you are fascinating. Do what do you do? I guess that's where we leave them. Um, yeah. What do you yeah. do? Well, look, um, there's that we we talked about the four places, the four. The, the chain of attack, this attack chain that we just described has four links in the chain. Initial access, account takeover and discovery, collection, exfiltration, monetization. What's left after that is recovery, right? Like, and actually what happens in step one is preparation f- for the initial access. Right. So the thing, right. that, the, the thing that you should be doing as an organization is you should a thousand percent be protecting how organizations gain initial access, how attackers gain an initial access into your environment. That's a tough one to conquer. There's a lot that goes into that. There's user education, making sure folks don't fall for phishing attacks, et cetera. Our boy James over at Know Before, he he rants and raves about the, the human factor to security over and over and over again. And step one very much comes back to the human factor. Step two yeah. in this chain, account takeover and discovery. You should discover that data before they do. Why is it that the attackers know how to cripple you and you don't know how to recover? Like you should do that thing. Step three, collection. Oh, that's and a good exfiltration. point. Collection and exfiltration. This is more of a fast detection activity. You should be able to very quickly detect the activities associated with collection and exfiltration. Um, we mentioned in this attack in particular, um, it's as simple as the attacker changing the number of, of, uh, a version, right? Changing the versioning limit. So maybe you should be monitoring for that. Make sure it never changes from the number you expect. But as a smart attacker, I'll just 
I'll just leave your version number in place and just do one more than that. So, so the next step there is all right. Well, good. So, so look for patterns that are exceeding that threshold. Step four, okay. monetization. At this point, you should just be preparing to recover, right? Like, cause, cause now you're in the, you done, you done got where you're at. It's okay. Let's deal with the problem. How do we get out of this? Well, now we decide if we're going to pay or not pay. And a byproduct of that calculation will a hundred percent be, um, or I should say an input to that calculation will a hundred percent be, do we know what we need to bring back? Do we have it ready to be brought back? And when was the last time we tucked it away so that we can bring it back? There's a lot to do in there. If I were to give you any advice and there were only one thing to do, I don't have a good answer other than prepare for the inevitable of it's plausible that you may be attacked. Know what data you need to recover and be prepared to recover. There you go. You got to do. That's what you got to do. And that's how we're going to wrap this thing up. Unplug. (laughs) Number two. Unplugged. Yeah. This is great. All right. We'll see you guys next week. Next week. Hey, you guys made it all the way to the end. Thanks for listening. Again, if this is your first time, we really appreciate the support and everyone that's always been around since the beginning. We love you guys. Keep supporting Privacy, please. And we'll always have new content each and every week. Cameron Ivy. Over and out.